0: We're glad you're joining us here at NRCC Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion. We'd love to hear what you're thinking too. Go to our community's Facebook page post your thoughts. Okay, so once a year I speak on how we use the Enneagram to become Christ-like. Uh, so that is what I am doing this morning. And I will be using some jargon, mainly I'm going to be using the word type, and I'm going to be using the word centers of intelligence. And just so that I can get everybody on the same page, I'm going to tell you what I mean by type, and I'm going to tell you what I mean by centers of intelligence. All right. So the Enneagram offers us a map of motivation. It maps not what you do, but why you do what you do. And the theory states that there are nine different possible motivations, and we are wired to favor just one. And the one we favor, we call our type. Sometimes we use the word false self. You'll also hear me use the phrase <coughs> centers of intelligence. These nine different types can be grouped into three different centers of intelligence. And we call that the head center, the heart center, and the gut center. The head center's intelligence takes the form of thoughts. The heart's center center of intelligence takes the form of feelings. And the gut center's of intelligence takes the form of knowing, as in your gut knows. All right, so now that's the only jargon that you're gonna hear from me this morning. All right, so this morning I'm going to speak on the Great Pause. And I'm not gonna be talking about P A W S, no big cats, but sometimes my uh, southern accent sounds like I'm saying (laughs) Pause. I'll try and get northern on you, Pause. Whatever. All right, the Great Pause that I'm talking about today would be equivalent to this scenario. If you work backwards to the lowest common denominator of changing your world by changing yourself, you will be finding yourself practicing the Great pause. The Great pause is the base ingredient. It is the clay that makes up the brick, that builds the wall, that builds the house, that builds the neighborhood, that builds the town, that builds the city, that builds the state, that builds the country. And we have established that in order to change our worlds, we have to be willing to walk towards our fears. We have to be willing to walk towards our enemy, which means that we have to be willing to be triggered. And there is no need to intentionally put yourself in situations where you will be triggered unless... You know what to do when you are triggered. And what, I'll, I will be suggest, what I will be suggesting is, what do you do when you are triggered is the great pause. So I'll tell you a story about a time that I practiced the great pause. And here is my story. As some of you know, Temple changed their locks on our doors. And for a while there, we had some snafus around the locks. And one day I came to NRCC, and the door was propped open with a chair. And being the logical person that I am, I surmised that they were still having problems with the locks. And since it was hot outside, and since the chair was letting the A.C. out, I took the chair out. I unlocked the door. And I went in. The next day, I got a text, and the condensed version is, did you unlock the door at NRCC? And I answered, yes. And the next text said, don't do it again. And I thought, fair enough. Everything was fine until I got another text, and it said, by the way, did I say, don't do it again? And then I was triggered. A little backstory here. I have been working hard on two things. I have been working on feeling my feelings. And I've been working on not believing myself when I say to myself, it doesn't matter. And after the second text, I so wanted to talk myself out of feeling my feelings. And I so wanted to tell myself it didn't matter. After all, it didn't matter. (laughs) It was a little irritating, but it shouldn't have mattered if I had been a mature person. Or at least that's the story I would have told myself. But like I said, I'm working on feeling my feelings, and I am working on not talking myself out of them. So, back to my story. I'm feeling my feelings, Here are my feelings. I'm angry. Man, the petty things I wanted to text back. I am feeling sheer irritation. I wasn't the one who propped the door open. I'm feeling shame galore. After all, I am having these feelings like I'm a teenager. And exactly how old am I? I'm feeling foolish that I'm triggered. I'm feeling exposed, and I'm feeling stupid. And I'm also remembering why I never took the time to feel my feelings. Boy, is it exhausting. (laughs) And the whole time I am pausing and feeling my feelings, all I could think of, what would I do if I was really mistreated? Or if I had been falsely accused, after all, I got called out on something I had actually done. I'm on my way to the crime scene when I get the text so I have about 20 minutes to practice the great pause. I don't turn on the radio so that I don't distract myself which is a major victory in itself. I spend the next 20 minutes a drive into church practicing the great pause. I feel my irritation, I feel my pettiness, I feel my shame. I feel my irritation, I feel my pettiness and I feel my shame. I feel my irritation. I feel my pettiness and I feel my shame. I, well, you get the point. And I feel them all in my body and I stay with my body and the feelings come and go and I let them come and go. I feel the feelings in my jaw and in my neck and in my shoulders. And I don't feel much below my shoulders, even though I'm working on it. And I process my emotions all the way to church. And about the time I get to church, I hear the still small voice say to me, That wasn't you, Robin, that was triggered. That was your type. And of course, your type would react that way. That is what types do, they get triggered. And something on the inside shifted. And I knew that I had heard the truth that I needed. I experienced a lightness, even a joy. I was a little amazed by the lack of shame. There was no shame, just a pragmatic acknowledgement of the way life is. So I practiced the great pause. It was as the Christmas carol said, let every heart prepare him room. I had prepared him room, and he had inhabited the room that I had prepared. Now, I've been alive long enough to know that every time I prepare him room does not necessarily result in me experiencing him appearing. But I will always aim to prepare him room, and who knows, maybe heaven and nature will sing, and I will be present enough to hear them. Now using the Enneagram as a framework, we are told that we have three centers of intelligence, all equally valid and all equally necessary. So about a third of the intelligence we need comes to us through our gut. About a third of the intelligence that we need comes to us through our emotions. And about a third of the intelligence we need comes to us through our thoughts. And we tend to favor one of those three to such a degree that we can hardly be talked out of believing that all we need is the center that we favor. When we exercise the great pause, we are saying to the center that we favor, What you have to offer might be partly true, but it also might not be enough. For instance, those who lead with the head center are invited to suspend their thoughts in order to feel their feelings and get in touch with their gut. Those who lead with the heart center are invited to suspend their feelings in order to think clearer thoughts and get in touch with their gut. And those who lead with the gut center are invited to suspend their knowing what to do by bringing clearer thoughts and more feelings to the table. We are pausing long enough for the other two centers to have a chance to offer us their intelligence. What else can I say about the great pause? The Great Pause is a form of surrender. It is surrendering our conviction that our type knows what is true, our type knows what to do, and our type knows the way forward. And every time we practice the Great Pause, we are acknowledging, we are surrendering that we might not necessarily know the way forward we might not necessarily know what is true and we might not necessarily know what to do. And every time we do that, our types, our false selves, scream at us that they do know the way forward and that we are stupid, stupid, stupid to pause. And our types scream at us that we are seriously mistaken if we think that doing nothing is going to help anything. So the type ones, the perfectionists, hate to pause because they are not getting perfect if they are not improving. And the type twos, the givers, hate to pause because pausing deprives them of connecting to love. And the type threes, the achievers, They hate to pause because there are no eyes to see them achieving. And the type fours, the individualists, hate to pause because there is no juice in pausing. And the type fives, the observers, they hate to pause because they hate interrupting their thoughts. And the type sixes, the loyal skeptics, they hate to p- call they hate to pause because their worry then has nothing to attach to. And the type sevens, the enthusiasts, they hate to pause because they fear that pausing will result in an endless pit of boredom. And the type eights, the boss, hates to pause because it gets in the way of them getting stuff done. And the nines, the peacemakers, they hate to pause because if they have to listen to their desire, they might have to disturb the peace. But I was able to practice the great pause. I was able to endure the wrath of my type. And I was able to hush the what a waste of time thoughts. And one of the reasons I could practice the great pause is because I have practiced so many many pauses. I have practiced meditation. I have practiced thought stopping. Now, in order to practice the great pause when I am triggered, it helps to have practiced many pauses during the times that I am not triggered. Whenever I sit to meditate in the morning, I endure my type telling me that I am wasting my time. That this is not going to result in me being transformed. And then I remind myself of Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's way is not my way. I surrender. I let go. I surrender my idea of how transformation happens. So my type tells me that transformation happens through knowledge. If I want to be transformed, I just need more knowledge. Sitting and thought stopping is definitely counterintuitive. After all, no knowledge is gained by sitting and stopping my thoughts. Whatever your truth is will need to be surrendered. When you sit down to thought, stop. When you sit down to meditate. Whatever your truth is will need to be let go. When we meditate, no needs are getting met. No one validates our worth No one sees how deep and unique we are. No knowledge is gained. No plans are made. No activity distracts us and no tasks get done. We have to surrender our core beliefs every time we sit down to meditate. We practice thought stopping when we meditate so that we can pause when we are triggered. So I'm going to say that again. We practice thought stopping when we meditate so that we can pause when we are triggered. What I call the great pause, Russ Hudson calls the Enneagram of letting go. He uses the Enneagram symbol, which is a circle with nine numbers around the circumference with nine at the top, as a way to learn to let go. So he starts at the top at point nine, to which he assigns the quality of presence. At this point, we become aware that we are identifying with our type. We are identifying with our false self at point nine. We move to point one. That's the next one down, where we are able to see that we are stuck in our favorite trance. That trance might be that we are identified with an opinion or a reaction or our need to be right or a pleasant daydream or a painful feeling or an imaginary argument. We are catching ourselves in the act. At point two, we consciously name the state that we have recognized. I'm angry, I'm irritable, I'm hungry, I'm bored, I'm fed up with so-and-so. We name whatever state we are in, simply and honestly, without analyzing it or judging it. At point three, the process shifts from our mind to our bodies. We sense it. Every kind of intense emotional or mental state causes some kind of physical reaction in our body, some kind of tension. Here we sense the emotion in our bodies. We don't think about it we vis- or visualize it. We simply feel it. At point, point four, we stay with it. If we do not stay with it, it will not release Sometimes if we stay with our tensions, more underlying feelings of emotional pain or anxiety may begin to arise. So our reward for staying with it is to get more of the same. Not exactly what you signed up for. Now you know why we don't do this. At point five, we relax. Oh, gee, thanks. Relaxation is not becoming limp. Rather, it is when we experience our body and our feelings more vividly and more deeply. As we relax, we might uncover deeper layers in ourselves and sometimes even more anxiety arises. The action of bringing both tensions and emotional patterns into the light of awareness dissolves them. At point six, we remind ourselves to breathe as you can imagine. The more we are engaged with the concerns of our type, the more constricted and shallow our breathing is. Breathing grounds us and helps release blocked emotional energy. We do not try to escape from whatever comes up for us emotionally, but continue to breathe through it. At point seven, we reconnect with a fuller sense of ourselves and the world around us. We, are, we start letting other sensory impressions come into our aware, awareness. We might begin to notice sunlight on a wall or the temperature of the air around us. And sometimes reconnecting means opening up to a part of ourselves that we were not previously allowing in. At point eight, we are invited to reframe the situation that we believed was causing our problems. We might see our entire situation in a more objective light. From this place of balance and clarity, we might discover a way to handle it more effectively. Reframing puts ourselves and our problems in a much broader perspective. And now we return to point nine, where we open to more presence and with it increased awarenesses. By practicing the Enneagram of letting go, our fundamental experience of ourselves deepens and expands. And we cannot be any more intimate with another person than we have been with ourselves. We are now more relaxed, alive, connected with our own being and with our surroundings and more open to grace. So here's the abbreviated version of what I just said. Ground yourself, see it, say it, sense it, stay with it, relax, breathe, reconnect, reframe. And if you recall, that is what I did. I was triggered. I identified the emotions without censoring out the ones that were embarrassing to me. I felt them in my body. I stayed with them a little longer. I did not judge them when they kept reappearing. I kept staying with them a little longer. And in this case, the place of clarity and balance resulted in the Holy Spirit showing me a truer true. The great Paul's. Opening yourself up to God's way that is not my way. The great Paul's. Opening yourself up to God's plan that is not your plan. The great Paul's surrendering to not your way. It takes some time before we become interested in the simplicity of experiencing ourselves this way. We want the growth process to be more interesting and more dramatic. We do not want to spend time with the pain of our tensions. In the Old Testament, there is a story of a Syrian general who refused to do the mundane thing that made no sense to him. In fact, it was downright foolish, and he was right. His name was Naaman. He went to Elisha to get healed of his leprosy. And Elisha told him to walk back and forth into and out of the River Jordan seven times. And he'd be healed. Now, Naaman thought Elisha was mocking him, and so he left. On the way home, Naaman's servant servant said, You know, Naaman, if Elisha had asked you to do something heroic, you would have done it. And the general realized that the servant had said was true. So he went back to Elisha and did what he said and was healed. He humbled himself to do that which made no sense to him. He surrendered to a way that was not his way. He surrendered to thoughts that were not his thoughts. So, let's do the simple thing. The thing that makes no sense to our type. The thing that makes no sense to the way we do life. Let's surrender our way of doing things. Let's let go. Let's feel our feelings and stay with them a little longer and see if they have things to tell us that we know not. Let's prepare him room and see if heaven and nature sing. Let's see if staying with our feelings will result in our transformation. Who knows, maybe Elisha is right. Maybe doing the counterintuitive thing, maybe doing a foolish thing, maybe doing the simple thing called the great pause might result in a magnificent thing called our healing. So thank you for sharing your morning with me. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, We hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. You can go to our website, northraleighcommunitychurch.org. The Donate button is at the top of the page on your computer's browser, at the bottom on your phone's browser. Thank you.